Welcome to the Heartbreak to Happiness Show with Sarah Davison. If you're struggling with a breakup and you feel shocked, angry, betrayed, devastated, or sad and alone, then this podcast is for you. Best-selling author and award-winning host, Sarah Davison, shares how you too can get on with your life to heal, grow, and move from heartbreak to happiness. Here's your host, Sarah Davison. Welcome back to the show. And today, my guest is Kevin Parker. Kevin is an empowerment and recovery coach specializing in winning against all the odds. So I am super excited to welcome Kevin Parker to the show. Welcome, Kevin. It's a pleasure to be here today. Thank you for having me. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. I think your story is so inspiring, and I know it's going to help a lot of my listeners. So please tell us a little bit about you and your story and how you came to be an empowerment and recovery coach. Well, for as far as I could remember, I was bullied as a kid. I never felt like I was loved. I always felt like I was alone, and I never felt like I was good enough at anything that I did. At two years old, my mother moved me in with my now stepfather and his two sons. Unfortunately, the youngest one who was my age got attacked by a wolf and it completely mutilated his face, uh, ripped off his scalp and even took one of his ears as a two-year-old. That was more trauma than anybody should deal with, no less a two-year-old. But growing up, he got all the attention and he felt really chastised and alone because of his physical disabilities. So He took out every ounce of his aggression on me each and every single day. He never missed an opportunity to physically, mentally, or emotionally abuse me. And it gave me these voids in my life. And as soon as I can get something to numb that pain, I picked it up. And at about 10 years old, I started smoking and drinking on a daily basis just to ease my pain. This periodically got worse and worse through high school, through middle school. I started selling drugs because I couldn't work when I was a kid. I played sports. I watched all of my grades decline. I was in the honors class. I was an all-star baseball and football player, but I had so many voids in my life. I didn't feel good enough. I didn't feel loved. I just didn't feel appreciated. And the only time I ever felt comfortable when I was on drugs. And before I knew it, I lost every opportunity that I had. Um, My grades went from 95s to 55s within about a year or so. I was not as good as I was in sports. I watched all of my friends go away to their dream colleges when I basically got stuck staying home to a local college. My life really started to fall apart. I started to really resent myself. There was a lot of self-loathing. And then at 18 years old, I got hit by a bus. I injured my neck and my back, and I got severely addicted to painkillers. That was the stake that's nail in the coffin because once that happened, I was completely consumed by my addiction. It became a never-ending vicious cycle of waking up in the morning, taking my pills just so I can go to work, just so I can afford my pills, just so I can go to work. I mean, it was just this constant cycle and I was a slave to my addiction and I lost absolutely everything in my life. Every friend, every relationship, every opportunity, every good thing in my life vanished before my eyes before I even realized it was happening. And I was in a really, really, really dark place. Gosh, I mean, wow, what a story. And to come through that is incredible. I know you're going to go and tell us some more about that. But just before you do, the part about taking the drugs to numb the pain, can you tell me about that? Because obviously you're saying you were still in a lot of pain, but the drink and the drugs obviously is a common distraction. I know that some of my listeners going through breakups will be 
you know, having more wine, for example, every evening and maybe turning to drugs to, to numb some of the pain, maybe, you know, partying more. Was that an effective strategy in the moment to distract you from the pain? It was the worst solution. See, I'm a recovery coach and I deal with people with addiction and unfulfillment problems, things that they're really dealing with, sadness, whatever the case may be. But what I can tell you is drugs and alcohol is always a very, very poor solution to a problem that inverse makes an even bigger problem. It's like putting a Band-Aid on a broken leg. You may be able to take a step or two. It may not be bleeding on your pants right away, but your leg is still broken and you're going to do even more damage to your life. And it just gets worse and worse. And it's never the answer. The problem is you need to find something that makes you happy. I mean, there's so many ways to go about doing that, but drugs is just going to numb you and it's going to create more pain and more problems in your life. Uh, I don't recommend it. I'm not against drinking responsibly, moderately, anything in moderation, but using it to as a crutch to deal with the issues and problems that you're having is the worst thing that you can do because it just makes things a hundred times worse. Absolutely. And, and I see that. I mean, even, you know, I mean, I've never been addicted to alcohol, but if you have a few drinks and you're not used to it, it does make you more depressed the next day and less able to, to make decisions. So I know from that perspective, but yeah, what you're talking about is a whole different level. So I can imagine that even though people turn to that as a coping mechanism, it is highly ineffective and leads to other issues that you then got to unpick as you go. So how on earth did you get out of that? Unfortunately for me, I had to hit rock bottom. Like I said earlier, that everything in my life was disappearing. Before I knew it, every relationship I ever had, every friendship that I ever had was gone. I was stuck with me, my addiction, the people that I was using. It got so bad that I was homeless. I lost my apartment. I had to move back in with my father at 25 years old. It was completely humiliating. He let me stay for about six months until he looked at me one day and said, Kev, you got a problem. He said, either get help or get out. He tried to perform a unsuccessful intervention, uh, unprofessional intervention. And uh, he seen it on TV, thought that he can do it. Obviously, it doesn't work like that in real life. I got really resentful. I thought he was attacking me. I said, I'm leaving. I don't need this anymore. Packed up all my stuff, threw my safe on my shoulder, and I stormed out the house. I walked about a mile in the freezing cold with tears running down my face to my best friend's house, and I convinced his mother to let me stay. I told her that my family hates me, that they don't love me anymore, that I have nowhere to go. She said, I love you. You can stay here as long as you want. She cooked me a bowl of macaroni and cheese, and that should have been the last meal of my life because... Everybody woke up that morning except for me. They found me face first in my vomit, blue, completely unresponsive. They called the ambulance. The next thing that I knew was I was waking up in the ICU from a coma three weeks later. And the doctors told me that I died three times in that coma. In fact, it got so bad, they had a priest come in and read me my last rites. It was so bad. When I first woke up, the first thing that I seen was my mother's and father's face and what I did to them. They look like they aged 10 years since the last time that I seen them. It was the most guilt and shame I ever felt in my whole life. When I started to realize what was going on, I realized I was hooked up to about 10 different machines, tubes in my throat, tubes in my lungs, tubes going up my, uh, up my gown. And I seen the doctor and the doctor said to my parents, it does not look good. He's not going to make it through the night. You better make arrangements. My parents looked at him like he was out of his mind. And the doctors looked at my mother and father like they were in crazy and complete denial. He said, you don't understand how bad your son is right now. He has 108 fever right now. His brain is frying. We have him under ice blankets, but the 
the fever is not going down. He has multi-organ failure, his liver, kidneys, lungs, heart, brain, completely shut down. He has no chance of living right now. If he survives, the very small chance he survives, he's going to be a complete vegetable. He's going to lose all four of his limbs, be completely brain dead. You're going to have to bathe him, feed him, wipe him, take care of him for the rest of his life. When I heard this, this was worse than death. And I started to pray every single night and begging and pleading for a second chance. Please, if I get out of this, I promise I'm going to make a difference. I promise I'm going to make a, a difference in somebody's life. Just give me a second chance. I learned my lesson. And for weeks on end, I didn't get any answers until one day the doctor walked in. He said, Kevin, I got some good news and I've got some bad news. Good news is I think you're going to make it. I think you're out of the woods. The bad news is we're going to have to take your leg or you're going to die. So I'm now an amputee. I lost my left leg below my knee because if they didn't take that leg, my blood was toxic to my body and it would have killed me. I developed gangrene. And if they didn't get rid of that infection, it would have taken over my whole body and I would have not be here today. So I was very thankful that this happened. Uh, I struggled for about four months in that hospital, not knowing if I was going to live or die. I had to learn how to breathe again. They had me on the breathing machines. They they'd lower the oxygen just low enough. So I'd struggle for every single breath, but just high enough so I wouldn't die. I felt like I was being waterboarded for at least a month of that stay. It was absolute torture. I had to learn how to eat again, drink again, breathe again, walk again. I mean, I couldn't even move my hand. I had complete nerve damage in my hand. And they told me I was never going to be able to move it again. So there were so many different obstacles that I had to overcome there. That was just the hospital. And it got even worse when I got out. So. Kevin, what a story. I mean, you've completely taken my breath away with what you've been through and at such a young age as well. Can you explain how you were in your, with your state of mind? Because obviously you had survived, so against all the odds, which is absolutely incredible. But then obviously having to face losing your leg at such a young age as well. How did you process that? How did you actually come to terms with that? Now, was there any sort of upside you're alive. How does that sort of balance out in your mind? Well, the one thing at the time I was an addict, so I didn't really care about myself all that much, but I seen how much my mother, my father, my little brother, all the hundreds of people that would come and visit me, like how much love was really out there and how selfish that I was to really be in a position like this. And I knew that they were all pulling for me and I didn't really believe in myself, but I believed that I can make it through. And I didn't want to let in the beginning, I just didn't want to let anybody down. I wasn't necessarily living for myself. I just seen how much pain I put through my loved ones and my family members. And I realized that your life matters, no matter how dark and dreary you might feel at the moment, whether you're depressed, you're full of anxiety, your life matters. There are so many people that you've touched in your life, you won't even be able to comprehend how important you are to so many people, except when you're in a position like that. And I realized that my life did have value because before then I felt like a full-blown junkie and I, I felt like nobody really cared about me or loved me and I had no value. But I realized that I was invaluable at that point. And I dedicated all of my efforts, all of my time, my whole life to getting through that. And the beautiful thing about being put in a position of sadness or uh, between a rock and a hard place 
somewhere that you feel like you're not going to get out of the depths of hell, whatever it might be. Those are the moments that you get to see what you're truly made of. The strongest, toughest, most powerful people in this world came through the biggest devastations. The fact that the quote that they say, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger is 100%. When you could turn your biggest weaknesses into turn them into your biggest strengths, you become unstoppable. You start believing in yourself. You start feeling like you have a purpose. Uh, I feel like God helped me turn my mess into my message. If I could do it, so can somebody else. And there's always a way to transmute your difficulties and your challenges into something powerful and strong and positive. Because there's always that balance is that for all the bad there is, there's always good. And when you can look at a bad situation and find the good in it, it really propels you in the right direction. And when I was in this really, really bad place, the small little victories meant so much. The first time I was able to tell my mom, I'm sorry, I loved her after not being able to speak for four months. That was an amazing moment. The fact that the doctor told me that it was going to take two years to learn how to walk. I was running in two months. You know, I had this complete nerve damage in my hand. And they said I was never going to be able to move my hand. I said, I said, Doc, no offense, but don't tell me what I'm going to do. I'll show you. And I stared at my hand for almost nine months until my finger moved. And then once my finger moved, I knew that that's all I needed to know. Because after that, it was all mind over matter. And I was not going to allow myself to not have a hand. And the, the milestones and the victories and the challenges that I overcame just started building me bigger, better, and stronger. I feel like the best position to ever be is in the lowest point of your life. Because everything's a win after that. That is one way to look at it, for sure. I, I absolutely agree. I think I'm a big believer that it's not what happens to you in life that defines you. It's what you do about it. And I also have witnessed through my own traumas and difficulties, but also all the clients I've had around the world. It's not who you are, where you're born, any of those things. It's literally what you do about it. You know, some people will decide that that's the end of their world and they'll drag that around like a gray cloud with them into future relationships and everyday life. And other people will say, okay, I'm going to change this around. Like you said, turn your mess into your message. I love that because, you know, a little bit of adversity or extreme adversity like you've experienced there can make you stronger if you choose to, right? It's, it's a choice. I guess what I really love to hear from you is how did you get to that tipping point? And what's your advice for people listening who maybe are in that really dark place that you said is a great place to be because it's all the way up? always from there. How do they find that when there's no light at the end of the tunnel that's obvious? Mm, that's a great question. If you were to look out Mount Everest and I was going to tell you, go climb that mountain, you'd be like, you're out of your mind. I can't do that. It's too much. But if I asked you to climb up 10 flights of stairs every day for the next 365 years, which would be higher than Mount Everest, you'd be able to do it. The strategy is to have bite-sized goals that you can easily achieve. Like you have a comfort zone. This is your comfort zone. Everybody lives in their comfort bubble. The only way you're going to improve your life and start creating something bigger is stepping millimeters out of your comfort zone. So when you start pushing yourself a little further and a little further, that's when your life starts getting better. I felt like I was in the worst place in the entire world. And I'm sure a lot of your people listening out here have been in that position where they feel like life can't get any better. 
Don't look at it at the macro level. Start getting small victories. Hi, it's Sarah Davison here, the Divorce Coach. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Heartbreak to Happiness. I just wanted to let you know about a free gift I've got for you, which I know will help you if you're struggling with your breakup or divorce right now. I'd like to offer you a free week's membership of my Heartbreak to Happiness online support group sessions with unlimited access to any of the groups during this time. So what are they? Well, these are friendly and confidential online support groups run by my accredited coaches. I've designed them to ensure that you know you're not alone and there is help and support out there to help you cope better. One delegate, Jane, said after her first session, I can't believe how much better I feel in just one hour. Another delegate, Wendy, said, my friends and family are so fed up of hearing me talk about this and now I finally feel like I've found my tribe. I've designed these sessions so you'll meet other people going through similar situations and you'll be able to share your story in a safe space. My specialist coaches are all trained personally by me and are there to offer support and help to enable you to dial down those negative emotions and let go of your ex. So I wanted to make a special offer to all my podcast listeners, which is a three weeks access to this unique support. It means that you will have access to as many support sessions as you would like to attend in a week. And we've got lots of days and different times to choose from. This is a great way to start to take your power back and help you feel more empowered. Remember, as I always say, it's not what happens to you that defines you. It's what you do about it that makes you the person you are. So sign up now at www.saradavison.com forward slash support group. That's saradavison.com forward slash support group to claim your free gift and to move from your heartbreak to happiness. Are you depressed? You're sitting in your house? All right, go take a walk around the block. The next day, take two blocks. The third day, go start eating something healthy. Go make a gratitude list and find the things that make you happy and start doing one of those things every single day. Start building up successes as you go along And before you know it, you're going to turn around after 20, 30, 50 little teeny small wins. You're not going to be the same person as you were three to six months ago. It's about always growing in the right direction. You don't have to conquer the whole world in one day, but you have to make one new change, learn one new skill, learn one different thing, have one different experience and start stacking those things because exponential growth is where true things happen, whether it be your finances, you know, if you're trying to compound interest, you know, you can, you can make millions of dollars by putting $100 a month in for a certain amount of time through interest. That's the same way that you want to live your life. You want to consistently be putting something into that emotional bank account, that investment in yourself, in your life. And it could be little teeny deposits, but consistently do it. And before you know it, you're going to be in a completely better place and different. And honestly, it was part of my life when I wanted to kill myself. I was so depressed. I mean, I was in that hospital for four months. 
And I had a girlfriend at the time and she was telling me that she loved me and she was going to be with me for the rest of my life. And I was like, wow, this girl's amazing. I told her, listen, I understand this is a really devastating thing. If you can't be with me, I understand. She's like, how dare you? No, I'm definitely going to be there for you. No problem. No questions asked. The day that I got out of the hospital, day that I got out, she broke up with me. And I found out she was with everybody in the neighborhood. And it was like a really embarrassing thing. And I wanted to kill myself because I had no friends left. I had, the girl that I loved wasn't there. I had no career. I had no identity. I had no self-respect. I couldn't even move my hands. I couldn't even go to the bathroom by myself. I mean, it was the most humiliating point of my life. But I started stacking victories, little teeny increments, little teeny things that I can get better with each and every day until I dug myself out of that depression. That's amazing. And I totally agree. It's small steps every day will help you with that momentum. Yes, you bring up a really good point there that, you know, life throws obstacles in your way. You, you make so much progress and then suddenly you get dumped by the girlfriend or, you know, maybe something else happens in your life. Or maybe if you're going through a divorce, you get a really difficult or scary letter from a lawyer you know, and it can send you reeling again. How do you avoid self-sabotage? I'm done, like going backwards. How do you avoid that? Because you've obviously come up against that quite a few times in your recovery. Well, uh, self-sabotage is, is something that a lot of us deal with. And I could say that I've been guilty of that many times in my life. And it could be tricky because you have to be able to put yourself in a better mindset. You have to be able to interrupt your pattern, interrupt that emotional pattern and switch it into something else. So I always like to have at hand something that I know can make me happy, whether it be a person, whether it be a food whether it be an activity that I like doing. Anytime that I feel like sabotaging myself, I treat myself. Anytime I'm like, I can't take this anymore. This is ridiculous. I treat myself to something that I really, really appreciate and I'm grateful for. Whether it be hanging out with one of my best friends, or whether it be doing some kind of activity, or it might be eating my favorite food, I will treat myself to get myself out of that mindset. Because if once you interrupt that pattern, you can go in a completely different mindset. It takes like seven seconds to interrupt something like that. What I tell my clients all the time is if, if you're thinking about using, drop down on the floor, do push-ups until you exhaustion or do, or do squats. Do something to interrupt that emotional pattern because once you change your mindset, motion creates emotion. So if you get up and stand up and you make some motion and you start getting fired up, it will change your physicality. It'll change your mental, it'll change your emotional, and it'll take over that feeling. Depending on how bad of self-sabotage you're in, depending on how much pattern interrupt that you need. But all you need to do is get yourself out of that thought. Whatever can interrupt that pattern, whether it be going to enjoy yourself, doing something that you love to do, being around somebody that makes you laugh or going, running around the block and going to the gym. Do something just to get you out. And listen, if you feel like that in 30 minutes, there may be a deeper issue. But most of the time when you feel like self-sabotaging, you could switch that up with one decision. And it's difficult for me to tell you exactly what that is for you, but you need to find something that can interrupt that pattern immediately. Yeah, I totally agree. And having those things already thought through so that in the moment you're not struggling to think what you would do one of my good friends he loves so anytime he's having a tough time he just puts on friends it's always on anyway 24 hours a day wherever you are in the, in the world so it's an easy pick me up and you can just sit there and have a bit of a giggle but yeah something to instantly change your state of mind I think is key 
Because obviously the people that you are spending time with now, I'm imagining are very different to the people you were hanging around with when you were using. Yeah, I mean, one of the most realist statements I've ever heard is you are the culmination of the five people you hang out with the most. Ooh, I love that. You are the culmination of the five people you hang out with the most. Ooh, that is awesome. I love that. Yeah, so like, if you feel like you're the smartest person in the room, let me tell you, you're in the wrong room. <laughs> you, you're just, you're in the wrong room. There should always be somebody around you that's going to make you grow, that's going to challenge you, that's going to make you stretch, that you want to emulate. The people that I hang out with are my mentors, the people that I look up to. I always feel like the smallest fish in the pond because I'm hanging out with multimillionaires people that are light years ahead of me in my business, in my spirituality. And I have all kinds of coaches and mentors in all areas of my life. And I like to be able to pick their brain or learn something from them. I'm always learning from all kinds of different people. And I know I don't know everything, but I always like to find a way to add value to somebody that I find valuable because you can learn something from anybody. But if you're hanging around Debbie Downers and people that are just that are going to be complaining and bringing you down all day long, it's going to rub off on you and you're going to become that. That's why I don't like gossipers, because gossiping is one of the worst forms of communication that you can have. You're talking down upon people that aren't even there. And if you're around that, then in the back of your head, subconsciously, you're thinking about who all the other people that are gossiping around you. And then you have that whole kind of mentality. Be around people that are action takers, that want to go around and explore and experience things and want to collaborate and synergize people. People that want to lift you up, not tear you down. So find people who you want to become and hang out with those type of people. We think that your life is, is your, the quality of your life is defined by the quality of the people you surround yourself with. I think that's just absolutely vital. And I think a lot of us just hang out with the people that are around us, not making a conscious decision about that. So taking power over that, taking your control back and actually making those decisions to, if you don't know people like that, then search them out, find them, you know, make it your mission to go and find people like that because they are there. And you know, it really does give you a boost to, to hang around those people and absorb their way of thinking as well. So I know that your turnaround gave you a new sense of purpose, I guess, in your life. For people listening who are thinking, right, okay, this is great. I love this information, but what is my purpose? How do I find that? What would your advice be? To find your purpose, there's a few different exercises and activities you could do. But one of the things is ask yourself, what bothers you the most about this world? What is the one thing that really drives you crazy about this world? that you wish you could change. And then ask yourself, what are you really good at? And what do you love to do? If you can find a combination of two or three of those components, you can find your purpose and passion. Because if you really love something, if you love to do something, and you know that there's a need for that in the world, you can get good at it. But if you're all three of them, I mean, it's a no brainer. You know, uh, for me, I was so sick and tired of seeing people unhappy with being bullied and not having fulfillment in their life and dealing with addiction. I love helping people that are tired of feeling broken because that was me. That was me. I remember who that felt like. And I would do anything to help who I was 12 years ago. If I can save that person, my life is complete because I know how painful that was. 
And I know how much of a need there is for that. And everybody has some kind of circumstance like that, something that they're going through, whether it be being a really good friend for somebody that's going through a divorce or potentially starting some kind of community that gives support and love for, for whatever you're dealing with. When you, like what I said, when you turn your message to your message, you are in a powerful, powerful position because you have empathy, you can resonate with people, you know the deal, and you know exactly how to navigate those territories. But everybody has a different purpose, but it has to be have to be something that you love to do, that you're really good at, or that you look around the world, and it really grinds your gears to think that that's going on and it hasn't been fixed yet. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I followed that path myself. Having gone through a very difficult, traumatic divorce experience, I didn't want anyone else to have to suffer the way I did. And now I train other people to help people too. So there's more of us going out there, making a difference and and helping people to cope better with breakups. So once you've walked in those shoes and you've gone through that pain yourself, it enables you, as you said, to have that empathy, which then lights a fire. It becomes your passion and your drive and your purpose. So it's not really like work anymore. It's just what you love doing. It's a lifestyle. And I think that's really how you become truly successful is when you're doing something that lights you up every morning where you're just jumping out of bed because you love what you do. So yeah, really inspiring words. Now, people are going to be wanting to find out so much more about your work, Kevin, and what you do. I know you've got a book. Please tell us a bit more about that. My book is called Winning Against All Odds, Discovering the True Worry Within. It's Winning Against All Odds by Kevin Parker. Uh, It is my life in the framework of mental illness, addiction, and I pepper in the entire book because I'm a life coach, all kinds of different lessons for anybody of any kind of walk of life to be able to take away from the book. So it's a it's a self-development book, autobiography. It's an inspiring story about how I've overcome all the obstacles in my life and how you can apply them in your life. How things come full circle when you think that something is going to be the demise of you and actually becomes your strength. I mean, I went from a crippled, disabled drug addict to a one-legged warrior. I mean, there's literally nothing on this planet that I can't overcome because of the things that I've done. The fulfillment that I found from contributing to people, helping people with their addictions, with their traumas, with their challenges. I mean, my life is so fulfilling right now, I couldn't have asked for a better situation to be in. My mission is to touch 50 million people before I pass away. And I love to collaborate with people. I love to get on different kinds of missions and really be able to touch the world in any way that I can. So I have my book. I have a website, truewarriorsuccess.com. You can also reach me at kevin at truewarriorsuccess.com. That's my email. I love to speak at events and I do coaching, drug interventions, uh, and I train people how to be life coaches and recovery coaches as well. I know on your website, you do offer a free introduction call just to find out how people could work with you and how you can help them, don't you? Yes, I do. There's a, there's a link on my, on my website. You just make a, an appointment on my Calendly and we can set up a call and see uh, if it's a good fit, if there's any way that we can work together, uh, whether it be professionally or on a personal level. 
Well, thank you so much, Kevin. I mean, wow, your story not only blew me away, but moved me so much listening to that. And just to see you now, I know some people listening to this as a podcast won't be able to see you, but you are glowing. So, you know, you've come obviously such a long way. It's such an inspiring story and you are a true inspiration. So thank you so much for joining me. I have one final question for you that I ask all my guests. My podcast is called Heartbreak to Happiness. And I think it's really important to know what happiness is for you so you can stop and appreciate it along the way. So what is happiness for you, Kevin? Happiness for me is to find a way to add value to everybody's life that I come across to make meaningful, deep connections with the people that I love and care for and finding a way to grow in a direction that it's going to be fulfilling and beneficial for my life in the future. I'm all about uh, powerful, deep relationships. I'm all about contributing and giving back to other people. And I'm all about my personal development. And if I can conquer those three points in my life, I am truly fulfilled and happy in every way. I love that. And you've ticked a lot of those boxes today because I know that everything you shared with us today will have helped and touched a lot of listeners. So thank you so much for being a fabulous guest. Thank you very much. The pleasure was all mine. That's it for today's episode. Do head on over to truewarriorsuccess.com. Check out Kevin's book, Winning Against All Odds. And I look forward to you joining me on my next episode. That's it for today's episode of Heartbreak to Happiness. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to win a free ticket to one of Sara's virtual retreats. The retreats are a transformative combination of live webinars with Sara herself, coupled with empowering online video programs designed to help you cope better with your breakup and start feeling happy again. For more details, head on over to heartbreaktohappinesspodcast.com where you can also get a copy of Sara's free gift. Thank you and join us again on the next episode for another dose of Heartbreak to Happiness.